0: let me encourage you to have your Bible open at Galatians chapter 5 and the opening part there of, verse, of chapter 6. We saw last week that in the Christian, everything has changed. Writing to the Ephesians, Paul says that we are those who once were dead in trespasses and sins, but now have been made alive alive. In Christ that's quite a considerable change writing to the Corinthian church in the sixth chapter of his first letter having presented a list of sinful behaviors not at all dissimilar to that in verses 19 to 21 of Galatians 5 Paul says and such were some of you but you were washed You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And in the fifth chapter of his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul states that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A great change comes over the one who once was a sinner, lost and condemned. But now is a sinner forgiven and born again and found to be in Christ. Now in our passage last week we noted these three key principles which are true of every Christian. Every Christian has the evidence of a changed heart the evidence of a new character and the evidence of a new will and please note that I did not say these are what you should have if you don't have these then you almost certainly are not a Christian a changed heart a new character a new will these are just some of the basic things which change in the life of anyone who is born again of the Spirit of God and who comes to a saving faith and knowledge of Christ. Now, our standing before God in Christ has changed absolutely, completely and permanently. Everything that needs to be done has been done this we call justification it's fixed and is complete because it's all based upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ but when it comes to our living in this world as a Christian well our lives certainly do become markedly different but that difference and that change is not Absolute and complete in the same way as justification. It immediately starts to make a change, but it is a process of ongoing change and growth and maturing. This is sanctification, which gives evidence of a heart that is changed and is changing a character a nature that is changed and is changing a will that is changed and is changing as we grow and mature in our walk in christ led by his spirit now paul knows and understands both from his own experience as a believer and from his years of pastoral shepherding of churches, there are certain aspects of Christian living that we find particularly challenging. There are certain aspects of human behavior which are hard to master and to bring under control. Think of how James, in his letter, highlights how difficult it can be to tame the tongue, and that such a little thing can have such massive impact. And repercussions. So, Paul now provides some specific guidance and instruction relating to several areas of our Christian walk. And I've given this message the title Three, Two, One. Three poisons to put out of reach, two principles to grasp. And one warning to heed. Well let's begin with the number three. Three poisons to put out of reach. Right at the end of chapter five. You'll see there that Paul mentions conceit, provocation and envy. Conceit. Well, conceit is a product of pride. Conceit is to have too high a view or estimation of yourself. It is to rate your own opinions too highly compared to those of others. It's to evaluate your own gifts and abilities as being far greater than they really are. It leads to arrogance. It can lead to um, self reliance. It's been said that conceit is the only disease known to man that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. It's traditionally been said that uh, many join the Navy to see the world. The conceited person joins the Navy so that the world can see them. Conceit can lead to constant frustration on on the part of the one who has it. Because nothing is ever good enough. Nothing is ever up to their standard. uh, Unless it's done their way. It, It just doesn't satisfy them and they just rub everybody up the wrong way or perhaps they stand back at a distance aloof and judgmental because in their conceit they are just a cut above everybody else and they feel that they just wouldn't be appreciated they wouldn't be used the way they ought to be used and In taking that kind of attitude, again, they just rub everyone else up the wrong way. The harmony and the unity of a church can be threatened by the poison of conceit because it can be like a toxin in a person's life. And it can be like a toxin that runs through the church. Remember the phrase that Paul has used earlier about a little leaven spreading through the whole lump and if it's not spreading goodness into the life of the church then it's like a toxin or a poison that's going to do it harm the bible's model for the christian is of meekness humility having the heart of a servant preferring others to yourself conceit Demands attention. Conceit demands that I be given a place, that people give me their ear, that I have an influence because I know and can do so much better than you. There was a touch of conceit in the Apostle Peter, wasn't there, in his early years as a disciple. How dare you suggest that of me? I'm far better than that. Yet was he? He had a a conceited view of himself and of his own character and nature. And in some cases, those who are taken up and caught up in conceit will become provocative They'll, they'll become an irritant, a nuisance. People begin to resent them. Paul places these three words at the end of chapter 5. He places them together for good reason. Conceit can breed provocation. And can begin to disrupt And, of course, at the same time, some people are just plain provocative. They just love to pick a fight and start an argument. They enjoy nothing better than to say something controversial for no other reason than to light the blue touch paper and really stir things up. Now, conceited people can be conceited but still mean well. They can be conceited whilst having no intention of being provocative, even though that might be the result. But you don't mean well if you love provocation, to sow discord, to create arguments and disagreements within the church. And if you're conceited and provocative, well, that really isn't going to end well so Paul is highlighting for us here probably from personal experience certain traits that can show themselves that can be particularly destructive and disruptive within the life of a church And he mentions a third poison that can be in the nature of a a man or a woman that should be put out of reach. These should be like bottles marked poison high up on a top shelf where no one can get at them anymore. The third one is envy. Envy breeds resentment and ill feeling. And can be made worse by the conceited and provocative words and behaviours of others. Envy threatens fellowship and a sense of oneness. Envy can cause people to place their focus upon the wrong things. It can lead them to establishing wrong priorities in their life because being like him or her, keeping in step with them, has become more important than keeping in step. With the spirit. They're taken up. With these other external things. Which are. Warring against their inner spiritual life. Your focus. Has become. Analyzing others. And making judgments about them. And wanting to. Measure your life. Against their life. When what you should be doing is analyzing yourself and making judgments about yourself as you measure your life against Christ and His Word. We'll see that again in verse 4 next week. And so, envy can make you completely lopsided as a Christian and uh, take you completely. Of course, in terms of where your focus and your priorities ought to be. And that's bound to have an impact on others in the church as well. Envy betrays where your heart really lies and exposes what are the secret desires within you conceit, provocation, envy. Now, when you read those words, with one eye on verses 22 and 23 in chapter 5, that the contrast between them jumps out at you. There is no law against those graces which are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but the law of God exposes these three sinful traits as the toxic poison that they are, both in the individual believer and especially within The body of Christ but there is an antidote which is to walk in the Spirit to be led by the Spirit to live in the Spirit Paul is urging us to realize that these old sinful ways these these basic elements that we have within our old sinful nature Uh, They can continue to be a problem to us but there is an antidote to them which is to focus on walking as we should walk as a follower of Christ. As you hear Paul use these words let us and let us not, what that actually should be producing in all of us is is causing us to fall on our knees again before the Saviour, confessing our sins, confessing our weaknesses, and and simply saying before him, uh, as we have these great exhortations from the Scriptures laid before us as to the kind of men and women we should be, simply confessing before him, Lord, I can't. But help me to take hold again Of the one who can. That he would lead me. That I may follow. And that I may walk. With him. And in him. By his spirit. God answers prayers like that. Three poisons. Within the soul. That are to be put away and put well out of reach, never to be taken down again. Secondly, as we move into the opening verse of chapter 6, two principles to grasp. Now, you will see fellow Christians struggling with the reality of chapter 5, verse 17, which is why we read it again one last time this evening you will sometimes see Christians stumbling and falling now Paul is not talking here about a constant habitual pattern of sin which has a firm grip on a believer all the time that would be a very different situation indeed what he's talking about here Is someone who's been walking along the path but has deviated off it. If you walk along a public footpath at the side of a farmer's field there are thousands of those across the UK. As long as you remain on the path you're fine but if you stray into the field you're actually guilty of trespass. Now it's not your typical Position or behavior, but for some reason you've lost your way You've stepped to the side and Ended up where you should not be That's the kind of language that Paul is using here When you see that happen to someone in the church Go get them Paul is saying bring them back to the path Show them their error so that they might be restored, so that they can carry on walking the path once more. Now, here are the two key principles that Paul brings to our attention. First of all, your heart should be to see them restored, and secondly, your character should be such that you are gentle. A heart to see them restored and a gentle character as you deal with them. Two key principles to grasp. So here's what you do not do. You don't start ten- sending texts and WhatsApp messages To share your latest juicy morsel of gossip. Hey, guess what I know that you don't know. You'll never believe what I'm about to tell you about so and so. Have you heard too? Isn't that outrageous? If that or anything similar to it. It's how you tend to respond. Then I need to tell you, based on Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, that you are not nearly as spiritual as you think you are. In fact, you may have a bigger problem than this poor brother or sister that you are about to dish the dirt on. Because the spiritual ones among you, Paul says, will have this response to go get them to restore them and to do it with gentleness to be kind these are graces which are part of the fruit of the spirit are they not brethren he says brothers sisters Because remember, that is who you are to each other. So behave like it is his exhortation to us here. I wonder if you've ever seen that fairly recent TV series, The Repair Shop. Members of the public bring into a workshop all manner of items and articles which have some special place in their lives or which hold some special memory Um, very often it's something that's been in their family for many years used to belong to a parent a grandparent something like that and this item is battered and worn often it's broken sometimes it's in pieces and the challenge to the various specialists in the workshop is to restore the item to get it back to how it used to be To get it to look and work the way it was designed to look and work. How, How this person remembers it looking and working when they were a child. And there are men and women in the workshop with all manner of traditional and modern skills in all kinds of different trades. They're able to work with all kinds of materials, works of art, mechanical devices of every sort. And they set about restoring these items that have been brought in. From them, towards these people who brought these articles in, there is no scathing criticism. There is no ridicule. There is no tut-tutting under their breath. As to how this object. Could have been allowed. To get into such a terrible state. They smile. They welcome. They understand. And they single-mindedly. Set about seeking to do. Only one thing. To restore. To make good. Again. And that's what. Paul is urging upon us here. If you see a brother or sister who's fallen by the way, who's strayed from the path, those who are spiritual will have this response. This will be their heart. Let me go and get them. Let me help them back. Let me bring them back to the path and set them on their way once more. They don't, with a hint of accusation, say even, so what are the elders going to do about it? (laughs) They get up and do it themselves. Because that's what spiritual people do. Because they love. And because they are peaceable. And because seeing such a one restored brings them such joy they are the ones in the church who are filled with goodness and kindness and are patient and long-suffering because sometimes restoring people can take a while and they are gentle the person who needs the restoring feels loved and experiences kindness even as their error is being pointed out to them. You don't come at them like a sheet of sandpaper, all harsh and abrasive. You're like the good Samaritan in the parable. He didn't rub salt into that poor man's wounds. He poured on oil and water to bathe, to soothe, to heal. He tended him, provided the means for his care and his recovery. He took it upon himself to do it. And restoring a believer, Paul reminds us here, it's a spiritual work. That's why it's for spiritual people. You'll need to be able to point them back to the word and to Christ. Christ. They will need to be brought to a place where they can see and acknowledge that that they have gone astray. They'll need to be brought to repentance and to healing. And on hearing this, just let me say that what you should not have in mind is a small group of elite ones in the church who are the spiritual ones. Now, there will always be those in the church who are at a more mature level than others. But rather than think of this little niche group who are the spiritual ones, rather surely our desire should be that all of us fall into that category. Because all of us are taking on board everything that Paul has said in this letter. And that all of us, at the very least, are making progress towards that. We're all walking in step with the Spirit. We're all being led by the Spirit, bearing his fruit in our lives. A church full of spiritual ones should be our goal and our prayer. Now, of course, God willing, there will always be a few spiritual babies around because we're constantly seeing conversions. We should certainly be praying for that. But... That we also see those babies grow and that one day very soon they too will be those spiritual ones that are needed in the life of the church well we've had three we've had two and then at the end of verse 1 we have one warning to heed now the final phrase of verse 1 provides another reason Why those who get alongside a brother or sister who have fallen into sin need to be spiritual people. Considering yourself, he says, take heed to yourself. Watch out for yourself. Often one who has been overtaken in a trespass is vulnerable. Often the one who steps in to help them can let their guard down if they're not careful a snippet of pride or conceit, perhaps, this could never happen to me as they go in. The spiritual ones won't just go charging in all presumptuous and self-confident. They'll do it prayerfully because they're the spiritual ones. They'll do it with great humility and with an awareness of their own vulnerabilities because they are the spiritual ones. They'll do it having studied the Bible first so that they can bring biblical counsel and guidance and help. They'll seek advice and counsel from others if they need it before they begin. If it's appropriate, and often it will be, they'll find another who'll go with them so that there is mutual accountability for all that's being done and said. Sometimes it could require quite frequent contact and so controls and checks are put in place to prevent anything inappropriate developing that's been the downfall of many a pastor or elder in a church it may be that this particular sin or issue that this other believer has struggled with It may well be that you yourself have had the same kind of struggle and on the one hand that makes you uniquely placed to be of help to them. But it also potentially increases your own vulnerability and so to have someone else with you again for accountability would be a very wise thing to do. Now, Those who are spiritual will think about these kinds of things. Those who are spiritual will accept these kinds of things. It's one of the marks of their spiritual maturity that these kinds of suggestions, uh, they don't find it to be an insult to their intelligence, but they can see how wise these kinds of things are. It's immensely practical what Paul has to say here. He's been round the block a few times. And I'm sure that even whilst we recognise that all that he is saying is inspired by the Holy Spirit, he also in large part is sharing from his own experience. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit living the life of a Christian? Well, this evening, Paul has shown us that it's as easy as three, two, one. Let us give ourselves to do it.